Welcome to Glass Onion Minute. I am your host, Austin Pryor, and my guest for one last time is Luke Allen. This is minute number 25. Our minute runs from 0 hours, 24 minutes and 0 seconds all the way up to 0 hours, 24 minutes, 59 seconds and 24 frames. Our minute starts with Miles offering an olive branch to Andy, which is quickly rejected with a cold shoulder. And Miles quickly takes Blanc aside for a chat. Blanc is overwhelmed by the opulence of the glass onion interior and offers to play a part in the murder mystery as i don't know the detective and uh <laughs> yeah so that's our that's our minutes and we get to see inside the glass onion um any thoughts luke yeah no i i really enjoyed this minute and i do what i do really like um about um about benoit blanc is like he he clearly he he loves his job and the thrill of yeah. what he does. That he's like, do you want me to just come and do my job, but for a, a party? Yes. And it's it's so it's so fun. And you know, you wouldn't. I don't think you'd see this with like Sherlock Holmes or something like that. I feel like Sherlock Holmes would be a bit more of a of a cold shoulder. Like, wait, you know you you know it's a serious yeah. job get on with it kind of thing but yeah Sherlock Holmes like has, loves the thrill of the chase but he doesn't like fun you know he, yeah he, absolutely <laughs> and I don't think he would get the point of, do, of yeah. doing it um, but but not for real whereas as Benoit's kind of like oh this is me this is yeah. very me and I I want to be a part of this wow I'm, I'm sorry but that is just crazy I know hey uh, Mr. Blanc hmm? Can we have a quick word? It's so lovely. And he's clearly the audience surrogate for this film. Is we're, we're kind of seeing things through his eyes for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. apart from the information that is that is hidden to us at this point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're seeing it through his eyes. And as he's walking into the glass onion going, oh, wow, this is amazing. It, it encourages us to think like that. And, um, and yeah, I just, I, I really like him. And I think... His, his his thrill at the idea of a murder mystery, mystery party is is fantastic. So yeah, I'm. Uh... And uh, yeah, so earlier on, um, we get this this encounter. Um, this Miles has like kind of calmed himself, and you can you can imagine that Miles has been like his head has been spinning and wondering why she's here and thinking about all this stuff, and he has just like okay. He's gotten to the point where he wants to. And this moment might be about a sincere reaching across the aisle and saying, I really am glad you're here. Hey, Andy. There you go. I, I really am glad you're here. But it also might be just a way, a kind of a shakedown of just seeing how she'll respond and trying to get another pass, another bit of like get a get a read on her because she's so inscrutable and 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 a read he does not get he gets this deadpan all she does is look down at his hand placed on her shoulder even before she looks down the hand on the shoulder is like a very awkward very kind of self-conscious act on his part that's just like I am now placing my hand on your shoulder in order to establish a connection. You know, it, it's very kind of, it's not like his usual, you know, easy way with people. And uh, that's just, that's so perfect because he's obviously wrong footed by her presence here, you know? Yeah. I also think, you know, the, the sort of 
the the straight face, but also a level of disgust that she yes. seems to seems to show. Kind of, you know, we've only known him for a couple of minutes, but we kind of we're not on his side, are we? No. And, and we and we we instantly can know that he's not one to like and not one to to necessarily trust. We know the character he's playing. Yeah. I mean, you talked last episode, unless it got cut, about Ex Machina, and it is very much like that. It's like you know we can have respect and we can like Oscar Isaac's character in Ex Machina at points. Yes. But it's not Nathan's film. No. And and it's and and he is going to be the antagonist either at points or for the whole piece and yeah. and, and so I I quite like that. You know, it's I guess almost like like a Bond villain or like um like the Doctor and the Master. You can kind of yeah. enjoy that tension uh, and enjoy that villain that the, the hero our antagonist and our protagonist have respect for one another yes and and that kind of respect. makes it more yeah. fun yeah um so yeah i i i enjoy this uh this minute and these sort of characters once again it's but very think, tropey but it's the right side it, of tropey it's the right side of tropey yeah and then i think in the case of miles like I think unlike a Bond villain, he is like, he really wants to be liked. Like the Bond villains often, like Blofeld often wants the respect of his, um, of his uh, antagonist. But, but like, I feel like, you know, Miles is more of a kind of a modern California, you know, hippy dippy kind of a person. And it's like, it's really important for him to be liked by the people around him and, to, to be able to project the image of somebody who is well liked and um, you know and of course you know he's probably not uh, we already know uh, we've already had an insight into you know how people high up in his organization discuss him and um, maybe there's a you know reality distortion field going on and there's a, a, a hero worship going on so that people lower down in the organization are more um, kind of uh fooled and and dazzled by his uh you know his aura but um but yeah i think we we've we before miles is introduced personally and before we even know who's playing him if we've if we've kept completely spoiler free before sitting down to watch the movie we get a sense of who this guy is from like shorthand about moguls in general and like we're obviously invited to compare him to jeff bezos and and elon musk early on but also just from the emotional effect a box from him has on other characters which is just yeah i love i love how all that plays out and i and i love that we know miles before we know miles you know it's i think that's kind of in one of the early episodes i kind of joked about how kind of netflixy it is like every yeah. kind of film or show where it's like, oh, and a group of people all go together to visit someone on desert island. Like, I can't think of a specifically. Named yeah, yeah, I know. Well, that's the funny thing with tropes. You can't, you often can't think, but it feels like um, a thing. Yeah, yeah, and and it's kind of like that. But like, that is the point. As much as like the original Knives Out, you know, the whole rich family house that's yes. been a murder, what's gone on, kind of it, it's. Brian Johnson and even the trope of including a murder mystery writer in a murder mystery scenario yes yeah, yeah absolutely and I, so it's it's brave because if you're trying to tackle tropes 
and kind of poke fun of or even add something new to a trope and mm-hmm. kind of acknowledge that it's a little bit tropey which yeah. i think both films do definitely yeah. you you have to it only works if you're good um it's like being it's like being an experimental musician or a painter or something if you master the craft first and then subvert it and play around with the ideas of it and then you'll have much more credibility than somebody who hasn't kind of paid their dues and is just like i'm gonna blast open the fine art world by doing you know just just a black canvas or something you know what i mean it's like it's it it doesn't it hits because like mondrian was an amazing painter and when he's just putting black lines uh, and and blocks of yellow and red and blue on a canvas he's doing it for a reason and he's finding out something about proportion and about the effect that colors have on us and um you know like that wouldn't work if he was just if that was his first work and there's like real substance there as well it's the same so funnily enough with ryan johnson you know in a way he's been subverting and playing with tropes and genres since the start so but i think he's very much paid his dues as a filmmaker um yes but uh so so maybe he's kind of he goes against what i'm saying in a little bit because he's he he started playing around from the beginning but the way he made brick his first feature film was like small loans from members of his family um getting people he knew to do favors getting his brother to do an entire soundtrack of non-musical instruments like found sounds kind of stuff and and homemade musical instruments and getting like putting all of these elements together and getting you know young um actors who were willing to work for scale um and uh and in the hopes that the film would would you know get picked up and and uh all of this was like pure dedication and by all accounts he just treated everyone really well and he you know quickly paid off uh, the people in his family who gave him loans and it was just hugely well planned out and so the guy has like absolutely earned his his um uh, what's the word he's done he's paid his dues and uh he he has shown his chops you know what i mean in in, in filmmaking so like this is the level he's now at where he can uh he can play around in this sandbox with which is just basically much bigger name actors much bigger budget much you know so he's just got like more sand in a bigger sandbox basically you know yeah yeah but it's but it's his sandbox and and, and so it's yeah and it's like you know it's for a similar sort of reason about poking fun at tropes and everything else is why scream is a better spoof than scary movie yes you know because the creators of of scream i'm pretty sure didn't they do um the uh i know what you did last summer as well or am i completely i don't up? know i feel like it's that's the same area people. of movies i could I be wrong well but enough. like yeah i'm it's weird i don't know why i jumped to to horror as my no, example no, it makes, not like some yeah, makes total but sense like it's because scream is like so you know playing with the tropes nailing all the tropes and just recognizing them and calling them out and lamplighting them and then doing them and um, or even like cabin in the woods you know those yes, sorts of films where yeah. clearly i mean that that's probably a, a better example because i you know we know what joss whedon has done yeah um 
unfortunately in some regards yes uh, but it's <laughs> yeah. it's uh it's it's um it, yeah it, and and thus it's it's earned because they they know the tropes in order for using them to mean something else i was trying to find out why you're making that point as to whether the creators behind not another teen movie had made teen movies before but they've got long filmographies and i couldn't be bothered because that's one of the yet. that's one of the only like spoofy things that yeah. i actually think kind of got it right like really I liked that. Never I, saw you know, it. a fan. I liked. I liked that movie. Yeah. I I really enjoyed that movie. But um, yeah, it's you can you can see why a young filmmaker would want to differentiate themselves in in among all of these in among all these different movies and try and do something fresh. But like, yeah. it, you're much better off doing something really well because that's what will differentiate you. Because making movies is hard and doing it like. <laughs> you know putting loads of effort into developing your craft and and getting the film the a, a one simple film really right would be would like differentiate you more in you know student yes, film yeah. competitions and like brick bucks that trend because brick is like a really strange mix of elements um and it has a couple of known actors who were you know who have since gone on to be much better known but who were who had been in things before so it had a bit of that kind of bankability and um and a, and that just gave it a little bit more cred but otherwise it just didn't really have much behind it uh, other than you know this vision and this very strange premise and this very strange approach to storytelling i i, I like brick is one i I only saw it a couple of times when, you know, I first, uh, you know, took a chance and rented it on DVD many years ago and um, and watched it again when I bought it. But that but I haven't seen it in years now. But it's like that that's a really special film that that just. Yeah, it, it was like immediately, you know, when you see a debut film from a director, you're like certain times you're just like. I am going to pay attention to you, and I and I did, and I've seen you know every movie he's put well, out. Since. That's it, yeah, yeah, and it's it, it's it's good when those things do happen. It's definitely there still is a place for original ideas and creativity. I'm not saying like yeah. student filmmakers should go and do something basic, but similarly, not every student filmmaker is Tarantino Reservoir Dogs or yeah. uh, or Kevin Smith with Clerks. Yeah, yeah. So we get Miles um, taking. Blanc into he kind of stops him in his tracks outside and uh, can I have a word and so he's being you know kind of delicate and wants to take him off um, one on one and so then we get to see this big kind of um, pull in and I don't know if it's like a drone shot no I think it's a crane shot where like the, the camera is like pushing in and ascending the stairs at the same time and you know the, the shot ends on this big the, the bulb the glass onion itself and then we transition in to this amazing internal reflection sculpture thing that um is on display in there and it's like um you've got a dodecahedron i think it is with where the insides of all the struts the structure have like neon lights on them white or white uh, fluorescent lights on them and then the every surface on it is like a two-way mirror so you can look through but it also has internal reflection so it creates this incredible um and i think entirely real and physically there on the set kind of effect of um although they, they probably would have had to paint out reflections of the camera 
Um, I'm just trying to think, but it it just looks it looks real and it looks like it's really there. And so then we kind of pull out of that, and um, and Benoit Benoit Blanc. Um, oh my word! This oh my goodness me! This is my, that is what what is that? Oh my God! It's full of stars. 2010, 2010 the year we made contact. Year we made contact. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and uh, you know that's just his little his little movie reference, and um, that's not in the script. And I think it's uh, I mean it's obviously probably that that this this prop hadn't been um, uh, you know envisioned at the script stage that it was like a response to to that and. Um, uh, have you seen 2010? Uh, no, I, I got I got the reference, but I think also um, just to kind of go go back a, a smidge. Um, when you have that first lovely kind of shot yeah. of the onion, the score is fantastic yeah. and kind of it's, it's kind of big. It it feels like an event. It's, it's really hard to explain, but like sometimes there's it's the sometimes like when you're watching a film, the opening titles can do it or something where you feel like oh this is an occasion. Like oh, I'm I'm in for a and that for some reason that shot and that music kind of does that and having that all of this yeah before then hitting to to Benoit's like it, it's it works really well comedically because even you know Daniel Craig as Bond for example if this were a Bond villain's layer and he walk in he might make a brief comment but he wouldn't be like oh wow this is amazing yes. he'd be yeah. playing it suave and cool and kind of and and so him kind of getting really excited by it all and kind of. Uh, yeah like a like a kid on a playground it's just yeah. it's lovely so we'll give a because you mentioned um the music we'll give a shout out to nathan johnson um who is uh ryan johnson's brother and has uh, done the music for all his films except the last jedi which of course was composed by um john williams but um so yeah so nathan johnson has really like like i say he started with like making his own musical instruments and doing all these kind of found sound stuff which was a great it was a great soundtrack for brick um but he has really kind of matured and developed into um uh, you know he can still do that very weird stuff and uh but he can now take on these big scores and uh, it's great to hear him kind of develop like that you know uh, I don't mean mature in the sense that there's anything immature about making cool noises with with found objects and stuff, uh, especially if you do it as well as he did, you know. But um, but yeah, so that's the that's the score, and then we're into into this uh, yeah total internal reflection, um, uh, Gubbins, and um, yeah, so 2010, I I just remember seeing it on TV years ago, and and look, it's no it's no 2001. Um, and it doesn't really try to be. It's kind of a more. It's a smaller film where they um, they kind of investigate the events of two thousand and one. This partially what it's about, and that line is is said. Um, oh my God, it's full of stars. That's what's said by um, the main character of two thousand one: A Space Odyssey, whose name escapes me, um, when he's going into the crazy. A trippy sequence at the end of 2001 he you know apparently on the black box that they later retrieved uh, he said my god it's full of stars that's the only thing he said in that crazy journey but because when I had when I saw 2010 I had only seen 2001 A Space Odyssey once 
and with a good while before i just thought that that line was in it and 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 like every time i watch 2001 ever since i i half of me is expecting that line and it's like he never says it. he doesn't speak he doesn't say a single <laughs> word during that whole sequence and of course he doesn't it would ruin it if he did say anything you know yeah. um and we can just we know that canonically in the kind of story that he did say it and it got it got caught by the black box recorder and that's fine and everything but it's just a funny little my god it's full of stars i always think that that's a line from 2001 i mean i probably don't anymore but i for a long time i just yeah always expected it and then i go oh yeah he doesn't actually say it now that is that is interesting and that is you know a, a pop culture reference that i wouldn't have I didn't know went so deep, really. Yeah. It was just, I heard him name it, and I was like, well, it was like, contextually enough, I got the vibe of Oh, exactly, meant. yeah. You'd be fine, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan, and it, 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 it does fit Benoit's character perfectly. Um, and it also, like, you know, and obviously this takes into context the first Knives Out as well, but it, it separates him as a detective character because you don't really get a detective who's a fanboy. <laughs> and yeah, it. and it's like, it's very, like, Benoit Blanc is like a very disarming character like that because he he's he has no problem showing enthusiasm and, and kind of passion, like moral passion about like being, you know, disgusted by people who are doing bad things and being, and, and being, uh, being such an admirer. He talked... Uh, so admiringly of um, Anna de Armas' uh, character in, in the first film and uh, with a very, just a very dignified, lovely way of talking about somebody, you know? Uh, and he's like very, yeah, unabashed about, about like speaking his feelings like that, which is a very refreshing thing for one of these detectives who are usually aloof and stuff, you know? He's like, Blanc is into it and I love that about him and and I think Daniel Craig loves that about him because I know Craig has said that he loves playing the character and I think it's like such an ideal antidote for James Bond for him you know Um, yeah I also think that even like you know even the antagonists they can't hate him (laughs) like because he's no like it's that mutual respect again but like they can't they can dislike what he does and dislike that he stops like you know prevents things or he catches them out but like he's just such a happy guy like you know if you're in a sweet shop and some kid is like smiling and looking at all the sweets you can't hate that kid you can't be like nah kid leave the sweet shop because yeah. look at the joy it brings him to be in the sweet shop you know and it, it's 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 like that and it's fantastic yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah and it's it's infectious you know you do you do you just have a smile on your face when you're watching him do it and he just it's a very so good technique it. yeah which if you're not me really tired on a morning you're you're watching it and you're going like i'm enjoying this yeah. film because you like benoit and, and benoit's enjoying yeah, it and it's so like it kind of it works in the in the age of kind of like especially in the tv landscape you know they're like the toxic male lead of of so many series that we that we love and the flawed protagonist and the not that he doesn't have flaws but just like you know people who are morally compromised and morally flawed and and he is just like he's just a goodie you know <laughs> and it's a, it's such a refreshing thing and it's like um and i th- i think like there's something about that combined with the 
you know the the world that he inhabits that made me very quickly forgive the accent when I first watched Knives Out which like from the trailer I had a real problem with and I was like what are they doing getting this English actor to play this role and I'm really really picky about accents and I should not love this and I do and I um although there was I, I do remember hearing somebody saying that there was there was talk of him having a different phony accent in every film and uh, because it is kind of alluded to that in, in Knives Out that he might be putting it on. Um, Chris Evans' character is kind of, you know, calling him Foghorn Leghorn and stuff, which is not, that's not necessarily saying that he's faking it, but I, I took it to mean that he's, that this is an affectation. And I did think that there might be, that, and I read somewhere that there was talk of the, like he would do a different accent in the next film, which it was an idea I loved and would, would kind of, internally like canonically justify why the accent is is you know a bit bad I, I like that but yeah similarly he's he's recognizable and he you know at least based on this he's now like he's famous and he's recognizable that like other people would have, would point out i whilst i do like the idea of him having a different accent for each one i think given how uh within the story world he still he is recognizable and he is known they will have like seen him interviewed somewhere, or yes. heard, you know, I, yeah. I can't imagine that his he could get away with people not having heard his his voice. Yeah, not definitely. Listening. But I do now. I do like the. There is a hint that there's something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now the, that the it's Hugh so Grant, established that he has. Well, first of all, that, that he's done the same accent in two films, so now it would be very weird for him to do another one in another film. Um, unless maybe it was a prequel where you know we, we where he's young and he hasn't developed this accent yet or or faked it or whatever and we get you know um but i think it's very unlikely to happen at this point now because it's like it's part of the brand of benoit black like like if there was a time you could do it it would have been this movie and this movie only it's like once you've done two that established the pattern you can't break it it's like the halloween movies you know they did they did a Mike Myers movie, but the original plan for the Halloween movie was that it would be an anthology series. So there would be a different like Halloween themed horror story every year. But the first one was such a big hit and Mike My Michael Myers was such a big hit as, a, as a, a baddie that they brought him back for the second one. So then when they went to make Season of the Witch for the third one, everyone was like, what the hell is this? Um, yeah, no, that, and it's like yeah, if they were going to do an anthology, sense, yeah. they had one chance to do it, and that was the second film. They couldn't, they, you know, yeah, you can't the, do the, that. The same with film. the same with my suggestion of like the ensemble thing. You couldn't do that now. No, definitely that not. Would just Cats make, out of the bag. It would make yeah. either two or three be the outlier. But yeah. it's like um, I, I do like the idea and the headcanon that the accent isn't real because you know we know so little about Benoit's personal life. Definitely. With that, we have that little gag about with you know and stuff which we can say next it's friday um later on you know and it's and i think that's enough to kind of hint oh there's like there's a home life we don't know about yeah and we don't um we we don't see just him and when no one else is watching yeah so he could be so different yes uh, you know he could have a different accent he could be british yeah. he could have yeah. met in england yeah and then yeah and so i yeah i'm a I'm I'm a fan. Yeah. Um and I I don't think we should ever except maybe in a prequel if it justifies it, but I I I think I'd like his personal life to remain an enigma that we just drop little hints at here and there because yeah. I think that's 
I think that's funnier. Oh, definitely. I think it's, yeah, it's I don't. More, I definitely don't want any kind of. If there's a prequel, I don't want it to be a prequel in the same. Like in, I don't want it to work that way. That it that it tells me origin stuff and it tells me. Um, but I wouldn't mind having him like having a younger. Oh, here's an idea. You could be intercutting in the way I described my my Benoit Blanc three idea. Yeah. You could be intercutting between a, a Blanc and a young Blanc, but not tell the audience that that's who it is. And he would have a different accent. And then towards the end of the film, you realize, and that's the twist, is that this young when we you would have to come up with some other like narrative justification for showing this that it would be like oh could he be reading the diary of his younger self but we think it's a diary that he's acquired and every time he reads the diary we cut back but he's actually just reading the diary to refresh his memory and and go back and and and, like and the have the diary the reflect on the new um, case yeah. and then and then it turns out that it's his own diary and that part of it is that he doesn't have the same accent when he's younger and maybe towards the end of the film we just hint that he's going undercover or moving to the bayou or he's doing there's some reason that he will either attain obtain or affect this accent for the future but we don't oh yeah no i, I like that i, love I it. think um what the other idea which i thought you were going to say is somehow we have Benoit like talking about his past and his origins, yeah, and we have this like flashback, this sort of prequel thing, but they don't line up, yeah. Like there's these kind of like two alternative things as to like we see him as an unreliable narrator. Oh, like, I see. Lying about his past, They're not yeah, and yeah. you kind of you don't know which one's real. Yeah, I don't know how you could deal with that, but I I like the idea of something like that. Cool. Um, so any other um, points you want to cover about the rest of the movie because we're in spoiler Friday territory where we have a bit more license to discuss other parts this is the, one of my stupid things to bring up but I'll bring it up anyway over the end credits we knew that like the Beatles song was going to appear pretty much because it's the name of the film and that but it doesn't really mean anything that song does it it's like completely I know that's really annoying but it no, uh, but doesn't, isn't really relevant at all no, but like oh I, it bugged me over the end credits it was like that's a, that song's a conclusion to the White Album with no context it doesn't doesn't I think reflect it's, no I think anything. it's fairly early <laughs> in the White Album is it oh yeah well it's a yeah, it's on disc point, one. It's, 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 one it's, the, it's, it's one of the early tracks on disc one, but it's um. But it's a ref- referential to their past albums. But yes, like, I don't yeah. know. It just felt it felt like, oh, this has the same name as the the film, so we're going to put it in. It didn't feel like there was any kind of. I know the over analysis, maybe, maybe yeah, I'm just being really know. critical. I think, but I, I, I just I think the um the the yeah the way they explore the metaphor of the glass onion and expound expand on that in yeah. the film i think justifies it um i just love it as, and it's a belter of a song and it's a great way it is, to yeah. close for in terms of the pace and the mood it's a great way to close the film and i'm i don't think knives out was the closer of knives out that's what i was wondering yeah, i don't it think was, they used um uh, I could be wrong on that because I've I've seen Knives Out a good few times, but I I I've, I'm drawing a blank as to what hits. No, I think it's just like a score, um, closing credits thing, and um, it makes me wonder if maybe they you know he wanted to use that but couldn't get the rights, and um, 
I was very glad to hear it when I first watched the movie. I wasn't 100% sure that it would come up, and it was like, yeah. You know, it's just that lovely way it kicks in. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, and I, it, it could be as well, as you were saying, you know, that, that you kind of, with the, with the original Knives Out, as to where the clearance or the rights come from because I had a, obviously once again much smaller scale but I had I made a film for my A-level coursework um, which I wanted to name after a song and feature the song in it and I, I knew the artist Ron Sexsmith yeah. but like and he was on board but like there's a lot of people you have to go through and I just realised about halfway through the process that it was way too much hassle for what is my coursework and maybe could go to a couple of festivals but the same sort of thing as we were discussing before of like I wouldn't own the full thing so I spoke to Ron and I was like I'd like to keep the title because I like the name of the song If Only Avenue but I I will just leave it as a referential acknowledgement to those who who know the song and know that the lyrics reflect the film but actually it's it's a fortune or and it's no point getting the getting the rights but you know it's so uh, yeah that I, I if that is the case have I you definitely have you relate. cut it to the song for your own just for 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 watching it yourself yes yeah yes I, I i did that was one of the first things i did and i think i sent it to ron as that just as like a yes an acknowledgement of what it was like um but yeah and it wasn't like it was a no from the music people but it was just a we're gonna have to talk with these people yep. they'll have to clear it yep. it might cost you money and i was like yes no point and i'm glad because it didn't do much that film really like I, I screened it a couple of places and then put it on youtube yeah. like it, i could have spent a lot of money on on something that even six months later i was thinking was not that good yeah um but uh, but yeah, it was. Ron has like a, to anyone who does, who like I'm, I'm sure there's he's a you know I'm a very, very have very few viewers anyway, and he's a fairly niche artist, so there's not going to be a ton of crossover. But if anyone does, they'll see that he's like got a thanks in the end credits, yes, and will maybe put the connotation between the title. Yeah, and the, yeah. Also, I like that if you YouTube searches song, my film comes up. That's, that's cool. nice. That's as cool. Well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so uh, I think that about uh, wraps it up. Not just for this episode, but for the whole dang week. So, uh, Luke, what's your final plug? My final plug? Um, well, I'm going to go with the, the show that I never finished and say the Love Rosie podcast. Um, check check that out. Check, um, check out Ellen and I chatting about... Um, I was going to say Richard Curtis. It's not a Richard Curtis film. Um which is weird for but me. But you ended uh, up talking about <laughs> but it's it's Curtis adjacent. Curtis, yeah, um, it is. Yeah, and yeah. It, it was influenced by Notting Hill, as Christian yeah. Ditter said at the time. It's yeah. But you was, had the director on and stuff. Like it's definitely you know yeah. it's a podcast that I, it's it's a film I've never seen and don't particularly feel the need to see. Um, but I've listened to the podcast and uh, you know there's Thank definitely you. stuff in there that's that's worth a listen. That happened. That happened. I think the majority of our listenership hadn't seen the film, yeah. which I loved. Like I and I have listened to shows about films I haven't seen, but it can be odd. So it was nice to know that at least with that, I felt like that was when I felt most established and comfortable with my with the tone and the vibe of the show. Yeah. I think with every other show I'd done, it was my, myself and a co-host, and almost every week we'd have a different guest on. Yes, but this was the first thing where I felt like Ellen and I we were kind of confident in 
our own kind of hosting chemistry to just week other than the occasional guest it was kind of week in week out this is what you you had yeah and it yeah it's it's a shame that we didn't get to finish it and i hope that at some point we uh we we will uh but yeah i remember because we both went to the same college there were people who literally like i'd never spoke to that came up to me and was like i listened to your podcast and i was like that's cool it's like we've seen love rosie no yeah and it's like that was that was nice and so yeah i i kind of having recently listened back to a couple of episodes of that show i i am still very proud of it and i think um whilst i recommend watching love rosie there are also enough tangents about cinema and about life and everything else that i think uh yeah it make it hopefully worth a listen that's great and uh can you give me social media links oh yes that um for me or for love rosie you uh well love rosie just will find in their podcatcher won't they the Uh, love rosie podcast yeah the love rosie podcast yeah um it's not the most inventive name i've had but it says what it is um and uh yeah so for me you can just search ask luke allen on twitter or instagram and you can find me um askseeknock.co.uk wonderful so uh speaking of social media you can follow this show on twitter at glass onion min all one word and um if you could please rate review and subscribe to this podcast in the podcatcher of your choice dear listener and uh, yeah, I'll send you off to my website as well if you want to visit MalkovichMinute.net and maybe someday there'll be more episodes. Certainly they've been recorded for a long time. Uh, the next batch of 25 have been recorded and they will get published after they get edited, which is eventually, eventually, eventually. And um, so if you go to MalkovichMinute.net, you'll also find any of the uh, social media links there as well to the um, various ghost towns that I have <laughs> have access to but I haven't logged into for a while. So that is uh, all that remains to be said is a big thank you to Luke for joining me all week and uh, a big thank you to Darren for organizing this whole darn thing and setting us up um, and assigning us minutes and assigning guests and everybody so I'm looking forward to a few more host spots on here where I'll get to meet new people and talk to them so this is going to be cool so thank you very much um, you will enjoy a whole new set of guests and hosts next week here on Glass Onion Minute Glass Onion Minute